The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. If you are visiting here this morning, we've been going through stewarding the story, taking a look at the life of David for the past several months. And so we've been in the book of Samuel. And so I want to share a story with you that has to do with this text. Um, Several years ago, I was an operations manager at a car wash. We were a multi-site car wash, and we were headed to a conference in Atlanta, which was an hour north of where we were. So all the managers got in a car together, and we were headed down or headed up to go to that conference. And so it was about lunchtime, and we're, you know, hanging out in the car and talking and chatting. We're like, hey, let's grab something to eat. And so we're starting to pick out restaurants, and all of a sudden we come to this restaurant, and they're like, hey, let's go here. Now I want to give you a little context. At this point, everyone in the car but me is not a believer. And so they know that I follow Jesus. They know that I talked about Jesus. I've shared the gospel with probably everybody in the car. At that, po- at that point. And we had been working together for a while. And so anyways, we're, we're, like I said, we're riding and they go, hey, let's go to this restaurant. And I looked up and I was like, I don't really know that restaurant, but I'm pretty sure that restaurant is just like Hooters. Okay. And so I'm sitting there looking at it and I was like, oh man, like really? You know, and so my mind starts cranking. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, these guys know that like I live and try to live differently than than the world. And so I'm I'm sitting here thinking like, man, is this that big of a deal though? Like, are these guys going to think I'm just a prude? Are they going to think like, really, it's not a strip club. Like, can you just come and let's go eat a meal? And so all this stuff's going through my mind and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, and then I'm thinking, you know, Ephesians 5, 3 says that I shouldn't have even a hint of sexual immorality be named among me as a saint. And I'm sitting here thinking through other verses and, and I'm going, but is it really that big of a deal? It's just a meal. Like, it's not like I'm going to be doing anything. And so I was sitting there just reeling. And so we pulled up the restaurant and I was like, hey guys, I, I can't do it. Like, I, I don't feel comfortable eating here. And of course, at that moment, I became like the pet, like they just made fun of me like, oh, come on, like seriously, what are you talking about, dude? And so they're just giving it to me. And I was like, I was finally like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I'm not going. And so we literally got out of the car. They walked into the restaurant. I sat on the bench outside because there wasn't any other restaurant around. And then they came out and they're like, come on, dude, just come in, just get, we'll just drink a beer together. Like, we won't even eat. So at that point, it wasn't even about the food. It was, can we get this guy in this restaurant? I mean, that was their goal at that point. And so it's super uncomfortable, but I'm like, God, you know, I really don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And so two, three minutes in, they come out of the restaurant. And they're like, all right, let's go. We'll go eat somewhere else. You, you know, baby and all that, you know, they're just, they're making fun of me. So here's the great part. We get in the car. And the guy who's driving, who's a manager as well, gets a phone call from his wife. And he throws it on speakerphone while we're in there. And he's like, hey, how's it going? She's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, well, we were going to go to this restaurant, but this sissy over here won't go in. And and then she goes, well, what restaurant is it? And then he told her, and she goes, yeah, that's because he respects his wife. And everybody in the car is like, you know, like, 
just went crazy. But I have to ask you, have you ever been in a similar situation? Yes. Yeah, I mean, have you? Have you been in that situation where you're called to compromise? Where do you feel uncomfortable or you feel like, man, I know that I probably shouldn't go this route, but that God is saying that, but everyone around you and everything that's around you is saying, go do it. It's not a big deal. Do you ever wrestle with that? You ever in that situation? And that leads to our big idea this morning. And it's this. It's that where are you tempted to compromise in your story? Where are you tempted to compromise in your story? Because in our text this morning, David faces a compromising situation. He does. And so I want to recap before we jump in. So last week, Saul is pursuing David, okay, to kill him. And it says at the end of the text that there is a rock, a literal rock, that separates Saul and his men and David and his men. And it's called the rock of escape. And so Saul's pursuing David. They're separated by this rock. And then all of a sudden Saul gets word that the Philistines are coming in to defeat the Israelites. They're coming to battle with them. So Saul has to stop pursuing David and he starts pursuing the Philistines. That was the way the text ended. This week, we pick up and it hasn't skipped a beat. We don't even know what happened with the battle with the Philistines. Saul is already in hot pursuit after David to kill him again. And that's where we pick up this morning. And so our first principle this morning is, in compromising situations, stand on God's word. In compromising situations, stand on God's word. Chapter 24, verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. Interesting name. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. It's great. It's great. So we've got, I want to paint the picture for a second. David has left man the wilderness of man, and he's entered into the wilderness of Engedi. It's surrounded by desert. It's a rocky terrain. There's caves all throughout it. Matter of fact, Pastor uh, Grant over at the Winter Garden campus has actually been there. He said it's a depressing place to be. It just looks like a rough, rough area. And so David has gone to Engedi, and it says that Saul took 3,000 chosen warriors. I mean, he's overcompensating here, isn't he? I mean, think about it. 3,000, that's five times the number of David's men. He is out to kill David and he's going to make sure he's taking his whole crew. And it says that they were at, he, they went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats rock. Interesting. So the idea here is, is that there was a lot of a certain type of animal the Hebrew isn't necessarily clear. It could be goats or it could be ibexes. So I just wanted to show you all a picture of an ibex because most people think that that's actually what is. So there's a ton of these and he's coming to this cave-like area where there's just hundreds and hundreds of these animals all around. 
So I'm just painting the picture for y'all. 3,000 men, they're chasing David. They're going to the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheep's fold, by the way, where there was a cave. And then all of a sudden, the text slows down and you hear what you don't normally hear. You hear that the king of the region goes to take a potty break, right? He's going to use the bathroom. You usually don't see that in the text, but all of a sudden, for whatever reason, God wants to slow us down and to hear details like this. And you're going, why do we have to hear details about the king going potty? Like, what's, what's going on? But that's where we are. So he's going to the bathroom and let's keep going. This is like a movie, okay? Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Can you imagine And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So think about this for a second. David has been on the run. He's been a fugitive. He's been literally trying to stay alive. And all of his men have been trying to stay alive as Saul, the most powerful man in the region, pursues them for their death. He's got 3,000 men who have come five times the number of their army. And then all of a sudden, the one who stands between their death and their life is in a cave going to the bathroom. And they're in the inner most parts. They should make a movie out of this. I mean, this is crazy. Think about that for a second. Think about the opportunity. And that's what his men say. I mean, they, they, they shout out, today's the day. Today's the day of the Lord. God has certainly given us this circumstance, right? This situation to, to save ourselves. This guy's been trying to kill us. He just killed 85 priests and committed genocide among God's people. And now he's in the cave and David, now's your time. Kill this man. Now is your time. Go and get him. It's this moment where their desires and their circumstances are in complete line. They're going, surely this is God. Surely God has given us this opportunity to strike, right? Except there's one thing. These men state that behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. They quote something that's not in the Bible. They just see that their desires are to to get out of this fugitive life and that they have this circumstance to take out their enemy. And so they quote this random thing in their head who probably in their mind, they're going, surely God wants to give us our enemy, right? I mean, David's supposed to be king. I mean, all this stuff is lining up, right? So surely this is God. And surely David was thinking, this is God's word, right? But it's not, it's not. I mean, think about this. David would have been dreaming about this day and the opinion of his men and they're all in agreement and his desires there, their circumstances there, and everything lines up except one thing, God's word. David knows that murdering Saul is sin. David knows that you can't take out the anointed king of God, right? 
He knows that this would be wrong. Everything makes sense. Everything in his heart's telling him to do it. His friends around him are telling him to do it. They're quoting false scripture and telling him you should do it. Do you feel the moment here? David's got the opportunity to leave fugitive life and to have life as a king. Have you ever had a situation where everything lines up except God's word? Everything lines up. Maybe you're single and you're longing for a relationship. Your desire is there. And then all of a sudden, this girl walks up and you're like, man, she is super cute. She's nice. She's moral. She's, she's got a great job. You know, like all this stuff's going on. All your buddies are going, are you kidding me, dude? Why wouldn't you take her out? The one thing is, she doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And your desire's there, your circumstances there. She's actually interested in you. She actually wants to go on a date with you, which is rare. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. Everything is lining up, but one thing, God's word, God's will. You ever been in that situation? You're hearing the voice of others, right? You hear it, everyone around you saying, go, do it, take it. And God's saying, no, don't do it. Or maybe you've been longing for recognition at work, right? And you finally have this pr project opportunity where you can really impress your boss, but it means that you're gonna have a lot of time with a coworker of the opposite sex and you're attracted to that person. You're drawn to that person. And you're thinking, man, I've been waiting for years for this promotion. I've been waiting for years to get to this level. I have this opportunity and I just need to take it. And everybody's going, of course you should take it. You want the promotion. You want the next, you want the next stage in your life, right? I mean, why wouldn't you take it? You know, it makes me think, Jean, uh, she started a blog, this is years ago, called Loving My Lot. And she wrote for a while and was, you know, posting her, her articles and everything. And all of a sudden she had a, a post, an article that went viral. She, it was, I think three days in, she had 700,000 hits. And all of a sudden the, um, the company that she was linked up to contacted her and said, hey, can we start paying you? Can we start investing in this? Can we start working that way? And then all of a sudden she started getting calls from different people. She got a call from MOPS. She got a call from different just organizations saying, hey, can we take this article and post it on ours? You know, all that kind of thing. And then she got a phone call or an email, an email from an organization that had 3 million subscribers. And at that point in Jean's blogging life, this was it. This is the next step. This is how you get in. This is how you raise money. This is how you cast influence. This is how you could be a part of serving others through her writing for Jesus. And so in her mind, she's going, this is fantastic. Like, this is awesome. They have 3 million subscribers. They wanna start using me and start you know, developing. They wanna take this article, post it in theirs. And so she's getting all excited and then she looks into it and she realizes what the organization is. It was the Mormon organization. And she had this dilemma. She said, okay, you know, 
I mean, can I just post it? Is that not a big deal? I mean, I'm a believer. I know that Mormonism is not Christianity, but like, can we work this out? And so she started asking, you know, advice from me and from other leaders, other pastors. And the resounding answer was, don't do it. Her article specifically was God-centered, but not Christ-centered in this case. And so to post that, everyone who's reading it would think it's coming from a Mormon perspective. And so this great opportunity seemed like it made so much sense. Her desire was there, the circumstance was there, but then there's God's word. We don't wanna support things that are false, things that are contrary to the gospel. And there are some people that are telling, hey, it's not a big deal, just do it. What are you talking about? Can you imagine where you're gonna go from here? And so she didn't do it. She said, God, I'm going to try and be faithful to you. I'm not going to let them post this article. And so I have to ask you, where is it that you're tempted to compromise? Where is it that you're tempted to compromise where everything lines up except the word of God, except what God's telling you to do? So let's keep going. Verse five. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So the question is, why does David feel guilty? I mean, literally think about it. He had the opportunity to strike the king down and end it for good. And what does he do? He goes up, He takes his robe and he cuts off a corner and then he walks off. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me, right? I mean, he didn't kill the guy. He just cut a little tip of the robe off, a corner piece. Why does David feel conscious stricken? Why is he struck to the heart as the text says? Why does he feel guilty? In chapter 15, God rejects Saul as king. In the moment of Samuel rejecting Saul, Saul literally grabs Samuel's robe and he grips it and he tries to hang on to it. And then Samuel literally yanks his robe out and it tears. And he says, this day, your kingdom has been torn from you. There's a significance to the robe. And then we see later on in chapter 18, we see that 18 verse four, Jonathan gives his robe to David, signifying that he is handing over his kingdom to him. Now David cuts the corner of Saul's robe, symbolically cutting off his kingdom. He's saying, I'm cutting you out and I'm the one who's gonna be king. And David realizes that even that was a compromise. That he, what he's saying is, this is powerful. He's saying, I'm not gonna grasp outside your will and your way. I'm not gonna grasp for the kingdom when it's not my time. I'm gonna stand on your word that you say I will become king and I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. So he doesn't even give the slightest. He feels guilty over it. And so I wanna ask you this morning, how is your walk with the Lord? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you? of similar things, things that may not seem like a big deal to others, but for you, you know the word of God, you know it and you wanna obey it. Because that's what, that's what he did. 
Verse seven, so David persuaded his men and these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Picture this for a second. Saul's, I mean, David is with his men who have been on the run. Remember, these are the men who are disenfranchised. They're bitter in soul, the text says a couple chapters ago, that they're not happy, they're in a terrible spot. And what happens? All of a sudden, they have this opportunity to take out their enemy, the one who they've been running from, the one who they've been bitter in soul against, the one who's failed them over and over again. And now David's saying, hey, we're gonna let them go. And they're going, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? The, the word tore into, or the, I think the ESV says it like this, persuaded. That's a weak word. In the Hebrew, it means that he literally tore into them with his words. It means he ripped them a new one. He had to get them to recognize that, hey, it, now's not your time. You can't go and kill him. So he's literally probably yelling, getting in their face, saying, no, you can't do this right now. At the same time, there's 3,000 men outside ready to kill all of them. I mean, this is a crazy situation. Like I said, it's like a movie. And so he restrains them. So let's ask ourselves again, where am I tempted to compromise? In those situations, am I standing on, God, on the word of God or am I listening to my desires, the opinions of others and my circumstances? Second principle that we're gonna see is in compromising situations, wait on God's will. Wait on God's will. I mean, what is at the heart of the temptation for David here? What is it? He's been promised kingship, right? I mean, David has been promised that one day he will become king. A.W. Pink wrote this, and I think it's spot on. He said, one stroke of his sword, and he steps into a throne. Farewell to poverty, farewell the life of a hunted goat. Reproaches, sneers, defeat would cease. Adulations, triumphs, riches would be his, but his at the sacrifice of faith, at the sacrifice of a humbled will, ever waiting on God's time, at the sacrifice of a thousand precious experiences of God's care, God's provision, God's guidance, God's tenderness. No, even a throne at that price is too dear. Faith will wait. Faith will wait. How many of you own a DVR or something like that, like an app? Hang on, put your hands on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through it. A DVR or an app that allows you to fast forward or to pause or to backtrack or whatever live TV. All right, raise your hands. I'm gonna see this. So we're talking 50% in here. So 50% of you own a DVR or some kind of app that makes you or allows you to do that. And the cool thing, isn't it awesome? I mean, you can skip all of the commercials. You can skip all of the boring parts. If you're watching a movie and you're getting bored with it, but you really want to know what happens at the end, you can just fast forward to the end and say, okay, there it is. That's great. Now I'm going to go to bed, right? <laughs> DVRs are great. The apps like Hulu and all those are great that allow you to do, fast forward, skip all the terrible stuff that you don't want to see. Here's the kicker. David has the opportunity to DVR his circumstance. He does. He has the ability to fast forward and to skip what? The life of suffering. 
He has the opportunity to jump to glory. He has the opportunity to become king instantly. All he has to do is strike Saul with the sword. And he skips all this headache. He skips all this depression, all this hard times, as he talks about in the Psalms. He has the opportunity to fast forward in his life, to bypass suffering and receive glory. How many of you are tempted to bypass hardship in order to live a comfortable and easy life? Compromising. Where are you tempted to hit the fast forward button in your life? Where do you want to skip hardship and boredom and receive eternal glory? And let's just be honest, we know all the stats, we know all the addictions. You know what that stuff is a lot of times? It's you trying to skip past the boredom or trying to skip past the hard parts. So you get jumped into something and then all of a sudden it becomes an addiction in your life. How many of you are trying to DVR your circumstance? Now I wanna jump to another passage of scripture for a second. And I'm just gonna tell you this, I just wanna slow down for one second and say, I've been preaching here for, I don't know, five months now. I've never veered from a passage. I've always preached straight through the text and I've always stayed there. And, I've, and, and most of the verses have been the primary passage. This morning I'm gonna veer and it's for a reason. And so I'm just being clear. Uh, there is another passage in the New Testament that so links up with this, I couldn't move on. I didn't wanna skip this, I didn't wanna miss it. And so we're not gonna finish the rest of this passage. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter four. So if you've got your Bible or your app, you can turn there. So we're in Matthew chapter four and it's verse one. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to see all of the similarities to the story in Samuel. You're gonna see it is an amplified version of what David went through. Remember, Jesus is the better David. And we've seen that over and over again. And so let's jump in. Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, and I'm gonna stop right there. Do you already see the similarities? Think about this. Both are in the wilderness. Both are being tempted. Both are suffering. Both have someone speaking in their ear. David has these men, his warriors. They're speaking into his ear. Jesus has someone speaking in his ear. It's not men, it's Satan himself. And both sides, for David and for Jesus, they're taking half-truths and they're distorting it and saying, go. Go do this. Go act like this. Be a part of this. You see the similarities already? Now I'm gonna jump down to, so, so verse three, or finishing up verse three. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How does Jesus respond? Think about this for a second. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna dive in. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being led by the spirit. Said that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says he was hungry. Okay, who's not gonna be hungry at 40 days and 40 nights? What's the text trying to tell us? Interesting, right? 
The idea is when you fast that long, all of a sudden your insides start to eat things that aren't normal and you feel this extreme hunger at 40 days. They, they know that scientifically. You, you kind of go through a rhythm of fasting and all of a sudden you're okay, you feel great. When you hit day 40 or around that time, all of a sudden you feel this hunger like you've never felt before. So Jesus is in the midst of the wilderness. It's hot, he is starving literally. And then Satan himself comes to him and all of Jesus' desires are what? To eat. And he says, hey, listen, you've got the ability. You've got the power. Just change the stone into bread and eat. Show that you're Jesus. Show that you're the true Messiah. Show that you're God. This temptation where the circumstance lines up, where his desires line up. And what does Jesus do? He literally responds and stands on the word of God. I don't live by bread alone. I live by the very word of God. I don't listen to my desires. I don't listen to my circumstances. I don't listen to you, Satan. I listen to the word of God. It's awesome. And then I'm gonna jump down to the last temptation for Jesus here, just for the connection with our text. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Think about this for a moment. Satan was offering Jesus all the glory in the world but Jesus was already destined for glory, right? So what was the real temptation here? Jesus, Satan is coming to Jesus and saying, hey, listen, you can have all of this if you'll just bypass the cross. You bypass suffering and you get glory. You bypass dying and you get glory. I'll give it to you right now, Jesus. I'll hand it over to you, everything the kingdom, everything that you see and can see as far as the eye is yours. It's the same temptation David faces. Both of them are the anointed one, right? Destined for kingship and yet both are tempted to bypass suffering and skip straight to glory. But I want you to think for a second. Can you imagine if Jesus had compromised in this moment? Think about that. The one man God who can change the eternal destiny of billions of people just decided that day, you know what? My desires are here. The circumstances line up. I'm hungry. Let's eat. You know what? I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have a hard life. I'll bypass it. Give it to me, Satan. I'll bow down to you. Think about that. Jesus, if he had done that, we would all be without hope. There would be no hope for us. We would be lost. We would be without hope. Jesus chose the cross instead of the crown. He chose to wait for God to fulfill his will, no matter what the cost. But here's the good news for us. This is great news. All of us compromise. Some of you are compromising right now. 
I don't mean in this room, but I mean in your life. You're facing compromise. All of us fail. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us drop the ball and compromise in our relationship with Jesus, in our relationship with our kids, in our relationship with our families, in our relationships all over. We drop the ball and we compromise at work when we shouldn't. We drop the ball and we compromise in our schools and our teams and everywhere we are. Thank God that that God, that Jesus was sent in our behalf that he didn't compromise. He's not just an example. He's the answer for us. He lived a life, a perfect life with no compromise ever. And he died on a cross so that we can have hope. So if you're here and you're compromising, Jesus died in your place. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you know that your life is full of compromise, he died so that you can have life, so that you can have hope. If you're a believer here and you're compromising, He's calling you to repent and to turn to him. He's calling you to stop compromising and to stand on his word and to wait on his will and to live for him. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but my prayer and my hope is that I, that we wouldn't compromise in our stories. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just your grace. And Jesus, that you are more than enough, even when we compromise. And so I pray that you would help us to make moment by moment decisions led by the Spirit. God, in those situations where we feel like our circumstances and our desires and everyone's telling us to go and do it, God, that we would submit to your Spirit, that we would listen to your will and that we would stand on your word, that we would wait on you, God. Lord, help us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.